So Money episode 122, Todd Tresseter. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome back to So Money, everyone. This is Farnoosh Tarabi. Very excited to introduce our guest today. His name is Todd Tresseter. He is our second guest on So Money to retire in just his 30s. The first one was Mr. Money Mustache, a wildly popular episode. Check it out, episode 38. Todd is a former investment hedge fund manager turned financial blogger and money coach. He went from debt to financial freedom in 12 years and then supported his family just from assets with Without any significant earned income for years. He raised his net worth from less than zero in his 20s to millions a decade later using the same personal finance and investment strategies that he shares on his website, financialmentor.com. Todd is still an active investor today. He earns a consistent investment return in both up and down markets. He is a true lifestyle entrepreneur and, as he says, the classic millionaire next door. He doesn't drive flashy cars or wear expensive clothing, but he does take great, great vacations. We're going to talk about that. Also, we're going to talk about why he recommends not hiring a financial advisor, his philosophy that we should make decisions emotionally, but support them rationally. And this is great, his step-by-step advice for first-time investors. A lot of you writing in wanting to know how to get started with the stock market, how to invest wisely. And Todd has some really important takeaways for us. Here is Todd Tresseter. Todd Tresseter, welcome to So Money. A pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. So uh, we have uh, actually connected now. It's been about a year. You had uh, me on your podcast when my book came out, When She Makes More, last year. And uh, the podcast actually just aired recently. And everyone, check it out. Go to uh, financialmentor.com. On that site, Todd, I was you know roaming your site and uh, stalking you a little bit before this interview. And just uh, I know a lot about you, but I wanted to really – prepare better for this interview. And, and I, I'd love to start with your uh, mentioning on your site that what you really do that differentiates you from a lot of other quote-unquote financial experts out there is that you teach the pursuit of financial freedom as a transformational path. And I want to kind of first begin with uh, focusing on that word, transformational. That's your competitive advantage. That's where you really allow your your followers, your readers, and you have tens of thousands on your site to really um, go from good to great. And it comes from a personal experience. You had a transformational journey yourself. What was that journey? If, if we could kind of maybe go back a little bit in time and, and have our listeners understand how you became the, the financial mentor that you are today. What was that journey like for you? Uh, it, you know, it's funny when you bring up transformation, what was that transformational journey? And it's, it's layers, you know, it's like, which layer do you want me to describe? Because <laughs> The way, the way I characterize it is, um, you know, it works in like cycles as you go through a cycle and you get stuck in a cycle, if you will, or a certain level, and then you break through that and all you do is move to the next cycle, right? And then you get stuck in that cycle for a while until you break through it and move on to the next one. And so it's a lifelong journey. So 
Um, to, but to actually answer your question, um, I think the one that's most characteristic was when I was building wealth as a hedge fund manager. And I tell the story about how I was, we sold the company and I was quote unquote financially independent or retired at age 35. And, you know, and I'm driving, I lived at Lake Tahoe at the time and I'm driving over the mountains and I had an assistant. She lived down in the Carson Valley and I'm going over what's called Spooner Summit. And you're looking out over the Carson Valley and we just sold the company and, you know, big life change. Uh, I was going to be getting married and um, we were going to head off on kind of a world tour for our honeymoon where we we're just going to backpack around the world for a while. And, uh, you know, I literally and figuratively, I was on top of the world, like as I was cresting this mountain and <laughs> that was a peak. And then it was all downhill from there um, because, you know, we have this vision of what financial independence is like it's, you know, being on a hammock and, and drinking a Mai Tai. But in fact, I learned it was something very different. And so, you know, that was one evolution of the transformation. I could go on and on with many more. It's just, it's been a journey of growth and that's been the huge value of it. I, what I'd like to say is that the money is the carrot, you know, like we put the carrot in front of the horse to drop forward. Um, the money is the carrot, but the transformation that you go through and who you become through the journey is what is truly the lasting value. It sounds like you really have to be conscious, though. You know, when you're at the top of that mountain, you are being reflective. You are being, you are doing a little soul searching. And I think that is a missing ingredient often when we are talking about money in this, in our culture and, and how to really give our money meaning. Would you agree? Yeah. You know, I, it's not really cool for me to say this on a show called So Money, but, um, you know, nobody really wants more money. Mm -hmm. Um what they want is what they think money will bring to them. Right. Uh, but the money itself is, it's not really what we pursue. We pursue what we think it does for us. When you are work doing the good work that you're doing at financialmentor.com, and there are so many resources on that site, I mean, from calculators to books to the podcast to your blog, I mean, this is probably one of the richest websites I have ever visited with regards to, to personal finance and wealth building. And you mentioned how you, you know, you give a lot of freebies away to your, to your readers, uh, a blueprint um, basically for building wealth. And you say that this is uh, a blueprint that actually works. What do you mean by that? I mean, so how do you measure how, if, if something is working in your financial life, if your blueprint is actually working? Well, it, you know, it's the whole reason I got into this business. First of all, thank you for the compliments. That was very kind of you. I know you've been through a lot of sites and you're very knowledgeable on it, so I really appreciate that. Um, you know, there's – I I've been through a lot of this stuff. I, You know, I was the crash test dummy for everything I tried to figure out what worked, what didn't, and why. And then the real difference in what I'm doing over at Financial Mentor is I've been coaching people real time now for, it's hard to believe, 18 years. Um and so I've been in the trenches with people one-on-one -on -one, week after week for 18 years. Um, and these are normal people who are trying to transition into a life of wealth, you know, going from normal financial problems to wealth. I wasn't just coaching rich clients. And so you pretty soon learn what works and what doesn't. And so, you know, I've been at this for a while and ferreted this stuff out. And my viewpoints are not common. I, I come at this with some very different viewpoints. And, but they're all grounded in mathematics. They're all grounded in, in proof. I mean, building wealth is math. I know a lot of people don't want to hear that. They're, you know, they might be math phobics. But we're not talking complicated math. We're talking you know, high school algebra kind of stuff, really simple stuff. But you've got to understand that 
Wealth compounds through mathematics, and a lot of the principles are grounded in math. And this is science, and it works. Do you think that's one of your secrets to the success of of how you ultimately coach people? Is that you know, it's like even on your site, you have a ton of calculators. You say it's it's all um, it's the proof has to be there. It's very numbers driven, it, and I I think that's exceptional because we tend to mix so much emotion in our financial decision making. Are you do you consider yourself really good at kind of separating the emotions from making making money decisions very rationally and not being so emotionally invested in in, in certain decisions, especially when it comes to investing? Well, you know, yeah, I do, but I think I probably mischaracterized myself here. I probably came on too strong on the math side. I actually do both. Um, and that, I think, is one of the unique things in my teachings, but I keep them very separate. So we've got the science of building wealth, but we've got the human emotional side. And you cannot um, have one without the other because we are human beings. We're emotional human beings. And, you know, the saying I like is that we make decisions emotionally and then we support them rationally. Um, and so it's really it's both. And you have to be very good at both. And that's where the coaching side of me comes in. So, you know, you've got the finance geek side of me, which, you know, I came from the hedge fund side and, you know, I was one of the early pioneers of computerized trading systems and all that stuff. So you got the full on finance geek, but Mm -hmm. then you've got the coach. You know, I mean, when I when I'm working with clients, this comes down to a lot of life coaching skills Um, because in the end, it's not. You know, there's a lot to this. And that, I think it's that double layer, the two dimensions of the personal and the financial and getting them blended together that really separates the teaching. I like what you said there. Make decisions emotionally, support them rationally. I often ask my guests, what would be your number one money mantra or financial philosophy? Is this it or is there, so, is there something else that you covet? Oh, God, there's so many. You know, one thing where I always fail on these interviews is that number one or the superlative, you know, because to me, there's there's multiple things. But, you know, I think one of the things that really characterizes me is uh, of what I'll call an intrinsic value focus. Um, that's one of the things that's kept me out of the, the repeating financial bubbles. We see the oscillating financial bubbles, you know, the stock bubble in 2000, real estate bubble 2006, 2008. I mean, I was known for getting to the side of both of those and writing pieces that let people know in advance of them. And I've got a piece now out about the bond bubble. I published that at the peak in 2013. Um, I have a very strong values uh, focus. But again, you know, it's playing off of what we're talking about. It operates on two levels. It's the personal as well as the financial. So, you know, there's this intrinsic value in investing, this understanding of values that keeps you from getting caught up in the hysterias that we repeatedly seem to go through. And then you've also got this intrinsic value about what is your life about? You know, why are you doing this? What's the purpose? Because in the end, the only real function of money and wealth is um, as serving as a tool in your path to happiness, you know, your path to fulfillment. What is your life about? And so there's this kind of intrinsic values of who you are, you know, like coming from inside you. So it's, it's, it's a much internally directed focus. I think that's one of the things that really characterizes uh, the difference, if, if you will. You call yourself a millionaire next door, self-described millionaire next door. I love that. Uh, you you know you're wealthy. You retired, but well, not retired, but you made millions, self-made millionaire by your 30s, and you don't you don't drive flashy cars. You don't live in a mansion. You prefer to build net worth, not overhead, as you talk about on your website. Was this something that Todd Tresseter, as a child, was in your DNA, sort of? didn't really have this aspiration for 
big, flashy, shiny objects. What was childhood like for you? And take us back. What was your biggest money memory? Well, I've got a couple articles on enoughness on my side over on the True Wealth side um, where it talks about, you know, money can be an insulator from from happiness. Like when my wife and I would travel, we wouldn't stay in American five-star hotels in foreign countries because it insulates you from the culture experience of the country. You know, we would stay in comfortable, clean places, but they would be considered, you know, lower brow by a lot of people's travel standards. But we wanted to be immersed in the culture of the country. That's why we're there. You know, we don't get on tours that whirlwind you around like a typical American. We go in and we kind of hang out in countries. Um, so I've never had a high spinning focus. I don't, I don't, I don't need to go fly out in a Learjet. I'm happy in coach. Um, I'm happy. I'm prefer being a normal person. I, I just, I want my life. So I've never had this big spinning focus. And on top of that, I'm very environmentally focused. And so, you know, there's a direct relationship between consumption and environmental problems. And so, um, I, I'm just not a mass consumer. I haven't found that it brings me any joy to me. The, the stronger slogan in here is experience is not stuff. Mm -hmm. To me, a happy, fulfilling life is driven by experiences, not stuff. And, you know, I've, I had the experience early on as a kid. I, I tell it in my free book that I give away, you know, 18 Essential Lessons from a Millionaire. Um, I tell about how I learned these lessons early on where I worked really hard for stuff. I got caught up in it just like anybody else. I, and then I looked back on it and went, wow, I wasted my whole high school career working for flashy cars and motorcycles. <laughs> and then I didn't want to repeat it in college, you know. And it's just been this evolution of, um, you know, internal understanding about what brings happiness and its experiences. It's not stuff. I'm curious your experience as a working in, in the hedge fund industry. We often associate this world with being very material driven, lots of excess, people making hundreds of millions of dollars. What do they do with this money? Uh, but it didn't impact, it didn't affect you. Was it hard to not sort of be sucked into that, uh, sort of stereotypical portrayal of, of what it is to work, you know, in, in finance and, you know, wall street hedge funds, things like that. Yeah, in the later stages, it was. Um, you got to understand when I got in hedge fund business, they were called private placement partnerships. Um, you know, I was very early on in the industry. Uh, I was one of the early pioneers in mathematical trading systems, and so when I started in, it was not an issue. Later on, as I was attending hedge fund conferences and things like that, where you're getting whisked off to, you know champagne dinners with Dom Perignon and the limousine and all the cliches that you hear about. Yeah, it got pretty hard. It just was not who I was. You know, I would fly into Switzerland for a conference and ski in the Alps and <laughs> have these fancy dinners and there was all kinds of stuff going on. And I just was like, you know, it's just not me. And, you know, whereas I go like you and I met at the financial bloggers conference and uh, I go there and I feel right at home. I mean, you know, these people are about value and thrift and they're trying to help people out. And, um, you know, I feel very connected to that community. Yeah, it's a fantastic community. You've had a lot of success, Todd, as an investor in your professional life. I think your worst year was like you lost 5%, um, right? Something incredible like that. A lot of people listening to this podcast want to 
start investing and they're not necessarily rich. They're not even by any, you know, they're not even perhaps making enough to save, but they really want to invest because they feel like it's not enough to just leave their money earning 0.005% in the bank. What's your advice to that generation of younger investors who want to sink their teeth into this? When are you ready and when is it okay to really get started? Well, you want to get started as soon as possible. I mean, I started investing straight out of college and made some amazingly horrible mistakes. Um, but at least I got started. Uh, my first investment, I mean, this is a fun story. My first investment, I did about as bad as you do. I lost 100%. I mean, the company went to zero. And that was actually money I was saving to go back for uh, for my graduate degree. So, I mean, I really blundered bad when I got started. Um <laughs> <laughs> that should go down for worse money mistakes. Yeah, that but. was going to be my next question, but you've already answered it. Two and one. <laughs> yeah, I thought I'd toss that one in there for Thank you. Thank um, you. So I'm sorry, I lost track of the question. Well, so what would be your advice? Would it be just start as oh, soon I'm as sorry. possible yeah, okay. so that you would – so when you fail, you can there's, weather the okay, storm? So there's a, couple, there's a couple things here. First of all, you, you have to understand the life cycle of building wealth. So in the early stages of building wealth, the most important um, – math behind it is your savings rate as a percent of your income. And so you really want to focus on the frugality and the uh, spending side and really aligning your spending with your values and really getting that piece in place to maximize your savings and then focus on building your career and increasing your income. So that's the most important point in the early stages. Uh, and then in the later stages, it's the compound return of your money uh, in excess of inflation that determines your your wealth. And so what you want to do is in the early stages, get your personal finances right, get your savings rate maximized, work on growing your income. And then as you do that, start developing your investment knowledge. Now, there's a the most commonly taught investment strategy, what we'll call, you know, the Bogohead or Vanguard um, you know, it's the low cost passive index, standard asset allocation formulas. Um, that is a valid strategy. It has a horrible risk reward ratio from high periods of high valuation, um, but it is valid uh, given a long enough term time horizon. And so um, you can start with that. And that's very easy to understand. I mean, it can pretty much be explained in just a few sentences. It's so simple. And so that's a good place for people to start. And then you want to build from that, um, you know, not to pitch. I will be doing a course later on in the year on expectancy investing. And basically, it builds on top of the proven principles in the most basic strategy of uh, low-cost passive index asset allocation. So you build on top of those proven principles. You add in layers of risk management and expectancy to improve upon it. The average person should not be doing this alone on their own, right? We just don't have the capacity. And not to be disrespectful to people, but this is this requires a lot of concentration and focus in some ways. I disagree fully. Really? Yeah, I disagree fully. I teach that you are nobody's um, going to care about your money more than you, and that uh, the costs involved with professional advisors usually exceed their value. And so, if you are uh, completely without discipline and cannot follow a methodology, then it can be helpful to have an advisor to hold your hand and enforce things. But the principles here are simple, Farnoosh, and anyone can understand them. Um, and so. One of the main principles here is the compound effect of high costs of having a professional advisor. For example, let's just throw some simple numbers around. If you have a professional advisor who's charging 1% of assets 
and they put you in higher cost funds and let's just throw an increase in expenses of 1%. So you got a net increase in cost structure of 2%. Um, that advisor can take 75% or more of your retirement just from that low cost incremental increase in expenses. And the math's on it's simple. If you figure 2% compounded, rule, use rule of 72, right? Um, for, for That means every 36 years, you've got half as much money as you would have otherwise. And then if you use 4% safe withdrawal rate, that means 2% expense means you got two, you know, half as much money you can withdraw. So again, just using really simple ballpark numbers, a uh, conventional advisor with conventional cost structures costing you up to 75% of your retirement. That's a huge um, position to take. I mean, just because you're basically, you know, your view against this mega monolithic industry of financial advisory. Um, it's it's a uh, it's interesting. I, I hear what you're saying, and I do also believe that you are the only one who cares more about your money uh, than anyone. That you care more. You should care more about your money than anybody else. You should be your biggest advocate for your money. Um, I, I work with a financial advisor. Uh, it's a lot of paperwork. It's a lot of time. It's a lot of moving money around. I'm busy. And <laughs> I, maybe it's lazy, but I just don't have the time to really invest in. Although we meet and we talk about our investments and I feel very active in some ways, but in other ways, it's nice to have a partner in crime. Yeah. Okay. So you know, again, it's just math, right? I just share with mm-hmm. you the math. Math undeniable. I, I recognize it's a very controversial position, but hey, it's a show and we got to Yeah, no, I so, right? yeah. <laughs> but anyway, no, it's it's completely supported by the math. It's not, mm-hmm. it's not even an arguable point. The only way you can argue it is by taking opposing points or taking alternative points of view. And that, I already offered that up, which is if the advisor is going to hold your hand and and allow you to or, or in, enable you to do things that you otherwise wouldn't do um, and to keep you from making really foolish mistakes, then possibly they add value and excessive costs. But this is a tenant that I teach, which is, you know, you should only pay for those things that add value and excessive costs. And I just shared that it's painfully obvious an advisor could cost you 75% of your retirement. The only way that's not true is if the advisor's adding value and excessive costs. And so you have to look at the value add and decide if it's worth what it's costing you. And again, it's just, this is yeah. just the way it works out. And it's, you know, that, that is it. The math is hard to ignore. Todd, what would you say is your biggest financial success? Your so money moment. You've had so many wins in your financial life. So successful. What, what, what is your proudest moment? You know, I would say that I, that story I share with you about the pinnacle of, you know, selling the hedge fund and, and, you know, I was so excited only to realize that that was, you know, the beginning of a major downfall, you know, because at that point I realized that, um, you know, I had subscribed to the millionaire myth, you know, that if I just had a million dollars, everything would be fine. And, you know, and financial independence was the myth. I had my myth of what financial independence was just like everyone else. And so as I moved into the phase of life, I've dubbed the pro leisure circuit, right? I Mm -hmm. call it the pro leisure circuit where, Suddenly, the you know your life is about entertaining yourself, and I realized that that was not happiness, and that began a whole journey of personal growth as I tried to sort all this out and the myths I'd been living under as I'd worked to achieve financial independence. So, you know, I suppose that was a pinnacle moment, but then it was also the beginning of a downfall. Um, so, anyway, it was the beginning of a journey, a transformational journey, and I think that is why it, it is so exceptional. 
Yeah, yeah. As I said, these are all cycles. Yeah. You know, they, you just move on to the next one and you keep growing and you just try to become the best version of the person you are. Do you have a daily habit, that a money habit that uh, helps you maintain your financial grip on, on things? Um, well, I follow my investment methodologies. Um, they don't all require daily following. Some do, some don't. I have a variety of them. Um, so I keep an eye on that. Um, I guess that's it. I don't run our personal finances as I shared in the podcast with you when we did money and relationships. Um, I run the investment side or the asset side of our family. And then my wife runs all our personal finances. Um, so I, I don't even have any daily money habits other than <laughs> the investments. Does she keep you on a tight budget? Um, no, not really. Cause I don't really spend much yeah. anyway. said my, you know, I'm happy with a, a chair and a book and, uh, going hiking in the mountains and, you know, I'm really kind of a simpleton in some ways mm-hmm. and I'm really complex in others. Well, are you ready for some, so money fill in the blanks? Sure. All right. If you won the lottery tomorrow, if I won the lottery tomorrow, let's say a hundred million dollars, I Todd, the first thing I would do is. Oh, Catherine, my wife and I, we would go out for a really nice dinner, um, celebrate, have a really nice bottle of wine, and then um, the next day I'd get back to work. Would you leave the money to your kids? No. No. I think... I need to ask you this because I have a, I had a feeling you'd have an interesting answer for this. Well, I thought Warren Buffett gave great wisdom on this one. He said, you should leave your family enough that they can do anything they want and you shouldn't leave them so much that they don't have to do anything at all. Mm. Um, I've been in a very privileged position of working with some wealthy clients and second generation money and, you know, all kinds of different combinations. And also myself creating money and then watching the impact it had on me. And when you don't have to work for money, which is what happens when you leave somebody a bunch of money, right? Suddenly you don't have to work for money. It's very hard to find your motivation to go pursue your life. Um, It's very tempting to just drop off to the pro-leisure circuit. And that is not a fulfilling life that does not bring happiness. Um, I've got way more examples than we could share in the time allotted here. And so um, it's it's not a gift when you leave your children so much that they don't have to pursue their own lives. Where it, whereas it is a gift when you can leave them something that opens up life to them. You know, it's enough to help them uh, move into a better life, but they still have to pursue their own life. True. And I think you have to know your kids, you know. Sometimes um, even if you do leave your kid the, the house and the boat and everything, they will do good with that. You know, maybe they're, they'll open a, you know, they'll, they'll start a charity, a foundation. It's, it's important to have that conversation with your child a little bit and let them know, you know, what kind of a legacy you're hoping that they will leave with the well, wealth I'm, that you're leaving them. Yeah. I'm blessed with some really good kids. Um, and you know, obviously proud daddy, right. And, yeah. and I still stand by what I'm saying that, um, it doesn't matter how good they are. I don't want to take away their need to live their life and have their full life experience, you know, good, bad, or indifferent. Um, you know, there's, I think we have this myth in our heads that there's something wrong with struggle or that there's something wrong with conflict and there's not, you know, it's kind of like this idea. It's, it's part of life and it's part of the beauty of life. It's, 
it's like this idea and I'm only getting so good at living it. I mean, you know, this sounds all ideological when I share it. I'm trying to live it and I, I sometimes I do well, sometimes I don't. But think about it. You know, how much fun is it to watch a sporting event like, say, a football game if there's no opponent, if there's no conflict? Right. Right. It would be yeah. boring. Right. Yeah. The team just march down the goal line, toss the ball and ooh, huge victory. Or you, <laughs> or you think about like how how interesting would a story be? If there's no conflict and everybody just walked through and everything worked perfect, it would be boring. Nobody would read it. And, and you know, similarly, it's the same thing in your own life. Um, how valuable – think about your great victories in life, your great achievements. And if you think about the ones that really stand out, they're always because you overcame something inside of you or something external to you that was a big struggle and you emerged victorious. And you you it, – it's like the hero's journey from Joseph Campbell where you – you know, you overcome the dragon and, and assail to victory and then you come back with the prize to share with others. Mm-hmm. And, and that's that's the beauty of life. And that's that's what makes a fulfilling life. Makes a great and, story. Yes. Yeah. And when you when you give somebody a ton of money or you have a ton of money, um, you will find that that is pulled away from you. The willingness to take on the struggle becomes much harder to find. Exactly. Well, Todd, I know you're not a big spender, but if there is one expense that you have that makes your life easier or better or both is? Wow. Um, I think I'm going to fail you here. I really do not. How about this? We buy organic produce and locally grown food, which is more expensive. And it makes Um, your life better. Yeah, we care about our health. Health Mm -hmm. is a high value we have here. Oh, I know one. Um, I, we've spent lavishly on our children's education and I can't say lavishly because it was actually a really good value for the school. The school was just amazing and it was not terribly expensive in terms of private school, but we did pay for private school for our children and, you know, we'll fund their college as well. They're not there yet. So that was a high expense that we spent money on. But again, that's congruent with values. If you look Mm -hmm. at both of those, it's, we care about our health and we care about the education of our children. I was just talking to another guest and we, um, something was said like you can tell a lot about a person based on their you know their bank statement <laughs> or their credit card statement and basically how they're spending is uh very reflective of perhaps their values one thing i wish i had known about money growing up is oh well i wish i hadn't idolized it so much i mean i was i was an aggressive entrepreneur as a kid you know, I start out with a paper route and then magnified that out in the multiple paper routes and did them on a motorcycle and then got into hot, hot cars like any other kid in high school. And, um, you know, I I really was into money and stuff as a kid. And I wish I had had a deeper perspective from an early day. But, of course, you got to learn those lessons, I guess. And there's nothing wrong with being entrepreneurial as a child. I think that was a great uh, stepping stone for you and education for you. I, I agree with that. I don't have any regrets on that. It was that it was about the money. It was the pursuit, the chase of money. Yeah. yeah, it was it was the money. I was definitely <laughs> about money back then. It, you know, I still am to some degree, right? We teach what we have of course. to learn. Yes. So it's the uh, carrot, as you said. Yeah, yeah, but it's definitely taken a much um, more balanced place in my life. When I donate money, I like to gift a blank because I don't even know. My wife does it all. Um, if I had to guess. Like when I look on the tax returns, it's nearly always uh, environmental charities. Uh, she has some social causes, but it's nearly all environmental charities. And last but not least, I'm Todd Tresseter, financial mentor. I'm so money because? <laughs> 
Um, you know, I pursue money. The, the slogan I like to say is I pursue money like a kid plays Monopoly. Like to me, it's this fascinating game. Like why would I watch um, what, I, those TV shows that everybody watches? Reality TV. That's what Real I Real Housewives. Yeah. Or Bravo. Yeah. yeah. Why would I watch reality TV when reality is so much more entertaining? You know, like living it. Like, why not just make my story interesting? Why would I go watch somebody else's on TV? Yeah, why live vicariously through others when you can have more drama and excitement and conflict and, you know, passion in your own life? Cheers to that. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, that's how I pursue it. Todd, thank you so much. You know, Todd is my brother's name, so I feel like that's just a bonus. I, I would love to say Farnoosh is my sister. I'd, I'd be lying, Farnoosh. <laughs> You'd be lying through your teeth, Farnoosh. Yeah, it's it's a it's not that common as it turns out. My name, but uh, um, I'm sticking with it. Thank you so much, Todd. I really appreciate having you on the show. Everyone, check out financialmentor.com. Fantastic to have you on the show. Have a great rest of the week. All right, thanks for having me, Farnoosh. That's a wrap, everyone. If you'd like to learn more about Todd Tresseter, his website is financialmentor.com. He is on Twitter with the same name, at Financial Mentor. All of this at somoneypodcast.com, along with the transcript from this episode. And if you've got a question for me, of course, every weekend, I dedicate the show to answering your questions. It's the Ask Farnoosh edition of So Money. Just hop onto somoneypodcast.com, click on Ask Farnoosh, and there you can ask about money, work, life, guests, whatever's on your mind. And I I try to answer all the questions on the weekends. And as a reminder, if you'd like to connect with me one-on-one, maybe for a free 15-minute money session, I offer this to those who go onto iTunes and leave a review for the show. Every Saturday, I I select one uh, new review, and that reviewer receives a free 15-minute money session with me, and we can talk about whatever's on your money mind one-on-one. And uh, that's a wrap for today. Thanks so much for tuning in again. Thanks to my guest, Todd Tresseter. Hope your day is so money. Money.